Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. And our focus today is the season of perplexity. And we're going to look at the words when, and maybe the word why, and maybe the word how long. Two words, how long. And maybe the if onlys. Now, if we have a look at um, recapping, these three words, when, no, and why, they're so interlinked that they're going to cop up in this talk. There's another reason in the book that we're studying, we're using for this. Every word out of this 12-week series has two chapters. Sort of one that sets the scene and then one that kind of helps you through it. And then when I was doing my study, I noticed something rather peculiar. My, my sermon only had one chapter. <laughs> so you're going to find that we're going to wander in and out of when, no, and why. You know, we need to put in place good disciplines because those disciplines and routines help us navigate through the seasons of life. They help us grow in the good times and the bad. And we started with the first three words here, oh and thanks. We call that the season of simplicity. It's like spring. Everything is hopeful. Everything is expectant. It's full of new life. I can remember, I still can remember, giving my life to Jesus in my bedroom and then going into work the following day. And I worked in a place called Lloyd's of London, which is where I had an underwriting room. And I walked in, and it was a long walk up this kind of aisle to the to the box where I worked. And on the box was this guy called Keith, who was a young man, a young Christian, who'd been taking me to church services every Tuesday lunchtime. And he was praying for me to become a Christian. And as I walked up the aisle, he looked at me and he said, wow, what's happened? You look different today. And I said, yeah, I gave my life to Jesus last night. He said, yeah, it shows. In the season of simplicity, God is so close, you can almost touch him. There's a sense of joy. Worship comes easy. Guilt has been banished. Forgiveness is real, and a burden's been lifted. And it just seems like every prayer that you pray is answered almost immediately. It's like you're having this childlike faith, and everything is amazing and wonderful. Do you remember that? Can you cast your mind back to those happy, simple days? And then, of course, we enter the season of complexity, and it's, oh, sorry, help and please. The summer comes. Things are still good. But a kind of reality is set in, and spiritual growth comes, but it comes through increasing our knowledge and our experiences. And the simple kind of becomes more complex. And suddenly you realise that the more you know, the more you don't know. 
And that this whole understanding of who God is, is like just an endless, bottomless thing that you can't get your head around. And maybe that warm glow of that first love is beginning to fade, and you realise that guilt's not been banished. So saying sorry becomes a reality. You have to grasp the fact that you still need forgiveness. And it dawns on you that you need help, not only from God, but from other Christians. And getting into a life group, as we say in this church, is essential to maintaining a healthy spiritual life and helps you grow. You suddenly realise that your needs and the needs of people you love and the people around you, in fact, the needs of the whole world, they're overwhelming and you want to pray and you're saying, please, God, help. Please, God, bless. Please, God, heal. Please, God, come and relieve, release. Just come and do something, Lord. And then you give thanks to God when those prayers are answered. And in that time of complexity, though, we still feel quite secure in our faith. And wouldn't it be lovely if summer never ended? Wouldn't it be lovely if we always had those hot days and warm nights where we could just bask in summertime? But then perplexity comes. And everything starts to go downhill. What we once were so certain of, we're not so sure. We're having second thoughts about things. Our view of church and church leaders may become tarnished because we suddenly find they're not perfect. They've got feet of clay. They sometimes mess up and they sometimes hurt you. Not intentionally, at least I hope not. And we struggle to see in this complexity and confusion who God is and where is he and what's he doing. As we just touched on a few minutes ago, for Rob's family, there must be that time now of complexity and confusion about where is God. So this is where we are today. We're going to be looking at perplexity in our faith journey. And we're going to start with the word when. When? Are we there yet? Have you ever been in a car with children? And you set out on this journey and you pull off the drive and you get to the end of the road. And what do they say? Are we there yet? And you know you've got another 600 miles to go before, you, before you're going to get there. Or when will men learn to put the seat down in the toilet? Or when will women actually get their method of payment out at, before they get to the till when, at the <laughs> checkout? <laughs> I'm trying to be even-handed. <laughs> In the season of perplexity, our prayers go unanswered. God seems to have forgotten us at best or is ignoring us at worst. And this experience has been described as being in the desert, in the wilderness. And it's a horrible, dry place where our spiritual life seems to dry up. Worship becomes a chore. Bible study lapses. 
We navigate church life on autopilot. Wow, it can be a general malaise. It just creep up on you. Or it could be triggered by an event. Something happened to you or somebody else. A prayer that you're so desperate for God to answer doesn't go, it doesn't get an answer. And it gets so bad that giving up feels like a good option. Because if God's not there, what's the point? And have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like that? It's a horrible place to be. And I've been there, and it's not nice. And nothing prepares you for it. And it's deepest and darkest. Christian writers have written about the dark night of the soul, when everything seems absolutely hopeless, and God is not in, does not appear. He's not in the room. In fact, he's not even in the pla- on the planet. He's far, far away. In Psalm 74, the psalmist cries out, O God, O God, why have you rejected us? Why have you rejected your people? Have you forgotten about them? They are your treasured possession. God, what's going on? And you can sense the confusion and anguish in these words. It's a desperate cry. Where has God gone? When will he respond to our pleas? We're in dire straits and he's ignoring us. Even his miracles have stopped and we're feeling so, so lost. Have you been there? Because if you haven't been there yet, you're probably on your way there. And it can creep up on us slowly. And then suddenly we wake up one morning and we just feel the emptiness. And it seems like everything now is coming at us and it's challenging our beliefs. Every situation we find ourselves in, people might be saying, how can you believe there is a God? And slowly it dawns on us that our loving Heavenly Father allows times of disquiet, unsettlement, of testing, of even despair and emptiness. And we cry out, when will this end? How long will this last? That wasn't meant to happen. And if we look at a couple of Psalms, Psalm 10 and Psalm 13, and they have similar themes. A sense that God has abandoned the writer. And abandonment is a strong emotion, isn't it? It's just like rejection. Being abandoned and rejected by people is something I suspect we've all experienced at some time. And in fact, in life, it's probably to be expected. Because people hurt us. But whether they do it, they may do it unintentionally, they may do it intentionally, but we get hurt by people. Because the thing is, as a Christian, God is so reliable. God is always there. God is our rock. Until, of course, he's not. Until, of course, he goes missing. And we will experience the desert. We will find ourselves in the wilderness. 
when God is so far, so distant, that we doubt that maybe that he even existed. Now, if you want to get the full gamut of life experience, then read through the Psalms. We've picked out a couple here, and there are more Psalms like that. There are Psalms where David has cried out these words, where are you? How long? When will it end? When will you come back? Oftentimes it's when his enemies came against him, but sometimes it is when he really messed up and messed up badly. The Psalms reflect real life experience. When will God feel close again? When will he be there? And then the if only starts. If only I could get peace of mind. If only I could just get to the bottom of this. If only I could just understand what's going on. If only, if only, if only. The Psalms are a place for us to find comfort. They're a place to find what real life can be like. Every day and every night, the psalmist cries out to the Lord in a sense of brokenness and emptiness. And you know what? What this tells us is it's okay to feel this. It's okay to speak like that to God. God is big enough for us to be able to shout at him, Where are you? How long? When are you going to show up? When are you going to be here for me? And God doesn't mind when we do that. You see, it's not a unique experience that you're going through. Many, if not all of us, have gone through such a time. And you're not on your own because in the Psalms it tells us how we can cry out our hearts to God and just let him know. How we feel. We will go through the desert. We will experience the when. When will this end? How long will it last? We will experience the if onlys. If only God would show up. If only he would answer me. If only he would rescue me. If only I could get that job. If only I could find a partner. If only I had enough money. If only I could find peace. If only I could live in Barbados. <laughs> oh, sorry, that was... That, that kind of slipped out. That was, <laughs> where did that come from? On my Christmas... Chris, <laughs> On my Christian journey, I've read countless books, and I mean countless books. I wanted to take a photograph of my bookcase, but at the moment, it's in the garage behind my son's kitchen. So it wasn't easy to do that. Some have bought clarity. And there have been times in, in my life when I've been struggling with something where it seems like the right book has turned up just to help bring some clarity. Other times, I've read books, and it's left me more perplexed than when I started when we started to navigate the whole women in leadership in the church, we read books and we did things. 
And there was a lot of clarity around that, and that was helpful because God led us to make changes. Some books stand out, some books I've totally forgotten. But one book I remember reading, and it stuck with me. And it's a book by by a guy called Henry Nguyen. Because in the midst of perplexity, one of the questions we often come up with is why. Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Why is it happening to them? Why hasn't God done something about this? And he kind of was struggling with this whole question of why. And as he was ministering to people, they would keep coming to him with this question of why this? Why that? (laughs) Oh, no, go back. And in struggling with that question himself, he came to a conclusion that the question itself was wrong. Because in his experience, when we cry out why, very, very rarely does God give us an answer. More often than not, it's met with silence. And so he said to him, well, maybe there's a different way to approach this. Maybe the question itself is wrong. And he came up and he said, maybe there's an alternative question that we need to pose. And the question is not why, but who. Who is God to you in the awful and dreadful circumstances that you find yourself in? Who is he to you? Is he still your loving Heavenly Father? Is he still the good God that we sing about in our worship songs? Is he still the God who loves us as we've sung this morning? Has his nature changed? Can you still bless God and praise God despite what's going on around you and in your life. And in the season of perplexity, we need sometimes to reframe the question. Reframe that question to, who are you, God, to me now? We may cry out, when? When will this end? How long will this last? And it may be, but not always, that the whole situation of the when and the how long is about how God is using the circumstances of your life to test your faith and to develop your character. Testing is a part of life. From the very moment you go to school, you start getting tested. You have maths tests, reading tests, spelling tests. Who loves spelling tests? I hated spelling tests. Partly because I'm slightly dyslexic and my E's and I's were always the wrong way round. We get tested at school. We pass a driving test. We have medical tests. We have tests in our relationship. We have tests of our character. Have you ever been into a shop and you pay for something? 
well, in the old days, you, it probably doesn't happen these days because you use a card, don't you? you just, boing. But in the old days, you used to give over money. And then you used to get a thing called change. <laughs> you know? Do you remember those days when you got change? And you got your change, and then you walked out of the shop, and you looked at the change, and thought, oh, they give me a pound too much change. What am I going to do? Do I go back in and give them back the money? Or do I just say, thank you, and pocket the money away? Mm. It's these tests of our integrity. Have you ever been tested like that? Did you pass the test? Don't tell me. <laughs> I don't want to know. Many times in the Bible, God tested people. And we're going to look at two of those tests today, and they were very extreme. Um, one of them involves Abraham and his son Isaac. Now, they'd wanted a child for years and years, and finally God turns up and they have a child. And this is child's growing up, and all things are looking good. In the wonderful summer of complexity, God is good. He's in his heaven. Everything's right with the world. And then God says to Abraham, now take your son, take him to a mountain I'll show you, and then I want you to sacrifice him to me. Now, what do you think was going through his head? What? Why? Who? Who is this God? This God I've trusted all these years. Who is he? What's he doing? What am I to do in these circumstances? And I suspect that journey to the mountain must have seemed a long, long journey. And I can imagine Isaac saying, when are we going to get there? Are we there yet? Not knowing what was going to await him. And yet, Abraham, because he trusted God, went through almost to the point of sacrificing his son. And God intervened. What a test. Would we have passed that test? And then, oh, why did it work, did it? Oh, that did. And then there's the story of Job. In the land of Oz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys. He had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people in the East. Wow, he's got everything. And if you read through the story of Job, it's challenging because it has this little dark side that's going on running through the story. And it's Job is unaware that Satan wants to test his faith. And God, our loving Heavenly Father, allows him to do that. And it's pretty awful. Job loses all his children, all his possessions, and then finally sits down in the dust. And his wife basically says to him, curse God and die. Wow, what a loving, comforting wife that is. <laughs> but his answer is no. The Lord gave, the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But then when you read through the rest of the book, his cry is, why me? Why have I done? What have I done to deserve this? I was blameless, upright, I feared God, and yet this has happened to me. Yet bad things happen to good people. But the interesting thing is that all through it, Job 
never, never blames God. God is always the same to him, despite the circumstances. Who is God to you when life goes wrong? Who is God to you when you're in the desert, when you're in the wilderness? Who is God to you when things around you are collapsing? When the season of perplexity is upon you? When you're in the season of perplexity and everything is total chaos and confusion around you, and I'm talking maybe it could be physical, it could be emotional, it could be financial, it could be spiritual, whatever it is for you, what are you going to do? Well, maybe the only thing you can do is hold on. Hold on. Navigating this season of complexity is not easy. There are no easy solutions. No seven steps to spiritual contentment and enlightenment. We hold on. We wait. How long do we wait? Well, that's the mystery. We sung about it this morning. There's the mystery of, of God. And how long we wait is a mystery. It can be short or it can be long. David was anointed by, uh, by somebody. can't remember his name. Thank you, Samuel. And I was going to say Saul, and I knew that wasn't right. It was Samuel. <laughs> he was anointed by Samuel when he was a young man. He was going to be anointed to be king. He waited 15 years before he became the king of Judah, and another seven years before he became the king of all of Israel. 22 years of waiting. Are we there yet? How long? When's it going to happen? Abraham waited 25 years for Isaac. And he was approaching his centenary. I think they lived longer in those days. And I imagine that for each, both of those, each and every day was when? When is this going to come? When is this going to happen? How long do I have to wait for this? When um, Andrew and I got married, we were young Christians. And we were in that phase of simplicity. So on a Saturday, you know, a highlight was going off to hear missionaries speaking well, you did in those days, didn't you? You went off on a Saturday morning, you went to a place and they had a visiting missionary on furlough and they'd tell you about all the wonderful things God was doing in China, Papua New Guinea or wherever. And we also had missionaries in our church and one couple were part of the Wycliffe Bible translators. So Angela and I went on a weekend, wow, to, to hear all about Wycliffe translators and, and maybe being called to the mission field. And so... With great enthusiasm and further, we went off to All Nations Bible College to be interviewed for the prospect of becoming missionaries. Now, I have to say, the people were very wise. They quickly sussed out that we were babes in Christ and only just been married a few weeks or months or whatever. And they decided that perhaps we weren't yet quite ready for the mission field. So it was kind of a no. We got turned down. So we had to come back, throw ourselves into church life. And yet something inside me always wanted to, and this is a very foolish thing, by the way, wanted to work full-time for God. 
you know. The truth is we all work full-time for God, just some of us might get paid by the church or whatever, but that was something that was in my heart to do. So when I got to my 30s, I'm thinking, Jesus got called to his ministry when he was 30, didn't he? Well, in my 30s, surely God's going to call me into the ministry. And, you know, it's kind of like I'm all excited and expectant. And, oh, well, nothing happened. And by the way, we're up to our eyes in children and mortgages and work and serving in the church. Was there any time to do any of that? So the answer was kind of wait, wait, wait. So I'm waiting I'm waiting. And then I get to a point where I'm actually quite enjoying my job. I'm getting on with my job. I'm going up the ladder and I'm actually getting promoted. And it's really good. And I'm earning good money. And it's really fantastic. And I'm kind of saying to God, well, if you want me to serve you now, you're going to have to get me out of this job. (laughs) Never. Never give God a challenge. (laughs) Because before I knew it, I'm finding myself being shunted out the door of my job. And at the same time, God kind of lays a call upon my life to become the pastor of this church. And I waited 30-odd years for that to come into being. When? When is in God's hands, not ours. When is in his timing, not mine, not yours. You might want to shorten the whole test thing. I once tried that because I had somebody who I worked with who was the most obnoxious. If I said it was Sunday today, he would tell you it was Saturday. You know, if I said something was black, he would say it was white. You know, we couldn't agree on anything. So I'm crying out to God, God, do something about this. He's killing me. So... Eventually, this guy moves on. And I'm thinking, yes! And then the next person comes along, was twice as bad. (laughs) And I'm thinking, I obviously didn't pass that test. I need to go through it again. We were, when I became pastor, we, um, we had this whole thing about a new church building. And I felt that part of my calling was to lead the church to that. And we had this plot of land. Now, if you drive down to Tesco's, from here, on the right-hand side is a thing that was called the paddock. And there used to be a donkey in there. That's why it was called a paddock. And I don't think there are any there. Anyway, we kind of said, that looks a good place. And we worked with a local developer. And he said, yeah, that's a good place. You build a church and we'll build some other stuff. And we'll get planning permission. Wonderful. And not only me, but other people in the church. We're all excited about that. We had this vision and this thing. And it was all going to go great and stunning and wonderful. They even offered to let us buy the land over two years so we could raise the £800,000 we needed. It was amazing. And then we had the planning meeting. And there were ten councillors on the planning committee. And we ever, they presented their, coast, their, their, their case. And the chief planning officer for Canterbury said, yes, this is a great development. You really should do it. And then one councillor after another got up and said, no, we shouldn't. And then they took the vote. And it was 10 to nil. Oh. Oh. Why? Why? Oh, dear. And I go for a walk with another leader, and he says to me, well, what do you think? And I said, well... I thought God was calling me to do this, but if not, then maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's somebody else's job to do that. I've got us this far, maybe somebody else will take us on. And then a few weeks later, we walked around a factory 
and kind of the rest is history. You see, sometimes the when is in God's timing, but the when sometimes can be influenced about how we reacted to the circumstances that we found ourselves in. Sometimes letting go of our dream is the only way that God can then replace it with the dream that he wanted all along. So we need to learn from that. What else can we do? So we can wait. (laughs) I did that bit, didn't I? Oh, <laughs> we can remember. I've kept a journal sometimes during my Christian walk, not always. I'm not currently journaling at the moment, but I have journaled. And it's been a useful exercise to be able to look back on times when God was so real and so amazing, when prayers were answered, dreams were fulfilled, and everything was good. Remembering, as I did a few moments ago, that time when I first met Jesus, that sense of joy and love that I felt, that sense of new life. We need to remember the moments of significance. We may not all have supernatural experiences, but we've all got milestones along the journey of our faith. Times when we know that God's been there for us. Times when we know that that wouldn't have happened unless God had actually been involved. My wife and I came we were going down to church into, into Whitsable, where we were going to St. Alphage, because we were going to get married there. And we came out of the door of our house, and we looked down the road, and the bus we were going to catch down to the town passed by. So we turned around, we thought, what are we going to do now? And then we heard this singing around the corner. So we walked around the corner to a place called Tankerton Evangelical Church. You never know when God's going to affect your life through just a small thing. Like that. And I remember that because that reminds me that God is always interested, always involved, always concerned, always has a plan, always has a purpose. He's never, never stumped for an answer. Remember the past conversations you had that enlightened you. Remember the special services that you attended where you just felt the presence of God so real. Remember the services the service that you were called to, the gifts that you were given, the offering of your talents and time. Every day, if you're in the wilderness, every day, if you're in that desert place, give thanks every morning because this could be the day when God leads you up out of the desert. This might be the day when it seems God returns and life is good again. God is in your life, has been in your life, will be in your life, and reality is always in your life. And in the season of perplexity, if that's where you are today, go home, get a piece of paper out, and write down all the things you can remember of where you've interacted with God, the milestones that have been in your life. Didn't mean that to happen. (laughs) And lastly, we persist. We keep going. We hold on. How long do we hold on? Well, as long as it takes. You know, in today's world, we want it all instant, don't we? We want it now. In fact, it would be better if it was here yesterday, you know. We seem to be losing that sense of anticipation of something that's coming. 
It's a terrible thing to think that people get depressed when they post something on social media and nobody likes it. You see, your worth isn't measured by how many likes you get on social media. Your worth is measured by how much you're worth to God and what Jesus did for you in order for you to become a child of God. That's your worth. One of the values of the school I'm at is resilience. Um, because we've recognised that children need resilience. And without resi- resilience, they won't grow to be rounded individuals. You see, we don't all get what we want. We, don't, we won't all be famous. We won't all get rich. We won't all be a Kardashian. We won't get our dreams right. Well, I won't be anyway. Um, <laughs> Well, I'm working on the bot. No, shush. Um, the Bible is clear that this is an imperfect world. It's unfair. It's unjust. Because it's not the way God planned it to be. It's a mess. And we need to navigate through it. Jesus told us the story of a widow who has a problem and she goes to court, but she's got a judge who's unjust and unfair. And so... You know, she doesn't give up. She keeps going back. And she keeps going back and banging on the case, I want justice, I want this, I want that. And the judge, in the end, gets so fed up and worn down by this, he gives her what she wants. And Jesus said, we should persist in prayer. We should hold on. We should keep going. Now, I think he used the analogy of an unfair and unjust judge because he knew that at times, in our heart of hearts, we might actually think and believe that God is unfair and unjust. And basically he's saying, persist, keep going, because he isn't, and he will answer you. We're running out of time. But Paul talks about the fact that we will face suffering. And suffering is there to refine us because in our suffering we're called to hold on to persevere to keep going no matter how uncomfortable it is and how we respond to suffering is what's important not necessarily the suffering itself it can be awful it can be dreadful i'm not minimizing it but when we can say to god you are still my God, you're still my heavenly father, you're still a good God, you're still a merciful and compassionate God, despite all I'm going through. You will be tested. How long will it last? I don't know. God has not deserted you. He hasn't left you alone. You will feel okay again. And even though you're perplexed now, God will come and he will rescue you. Mary Stevenson wrote an amazing poem. And I'm going to read it to you. One night I dreamed a dream and as I was walking along the beach with my Lord, across the dark sky flashed scenes of my life. For each scene I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. 
After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand and noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. When I needed you the most, you would leave me. And he whispered, my precious child, I love you and I will never leave you. Never, ever. During your trials and testings, when you saw only one set of footprints, that's when I carried you. How long? When? Why? The season of perplexity takes many forms. But when we look back, when life returns and joy bubbles up, we can know for certain that the promise made by Jesus never to leave us or forsake us, will always, always be kept. Even in the darkest hour, he is always with us. you please stand with me? Lord, we pray today for any that are facing a season of perplexity. Lord, even though they don't feel that you're there, even though they can't understand why, even if they're longing to know how long, may you, Lord, bless them today. May you, Lord, be a comfort to them. May you bring the light at the end of the tunnel (coughs) when it's the time that you've planned. But in their darkest moments, may we be those that gather round and support. May we be there. May we be your hands, your feet. May we be a blessing. May we be an encouragement. Lord, whatever it takes, help us to help them to hold on. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.